This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. Hey, y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Betty. This week on the show, what's going on in the world of sports, and later, how to forgive yourself for doing nothing while in quarantine. All right, let's start the show. Hey, y'all, from NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Happy weekend to my listeners and to my guests. We've got two all-stars here to talk sports, sports, sports. Mina Kimes, senior writer at ESPN and host of ESPN's daily news podcast, ESPN Daily, and Clinton Yates, columnist at The Undefeated, panelist on Around the Horn, and new host of Baseball Tonight Live. How many jobs did you have, sir? I have enough to keep me alive. I'm blessed to be working. We all know how difficult the situation is across the nation. So the more entertainment options I can provide for people while they sit at home, the better. Okay, I love it. And so Mina and Clinton, y'all work together. I like this. Tag team. (laughs) Yeah, Clinton and I used to co-host a morning radio show, a weekend morning radio show together called The Morning Roast R.I.P. And so we've worked. And I'm also on Around the Horn with him. Sometimes we go head to head. So I'm going to just duck out and let y'all host this show. (laughs) I'm so happy to have this ESPN sports takeover. My brother would be so proud of me and so surprised. Uh, But before we get to sports, (laughs) a very serious and personal question for both of you. What are you wearing on your feet as you social distance at home? I'll go first. Um, Sam, I'm Asian, so I don't wear shoes in my house. (laughs) Uh, I occasionally wear socks depending on the weather. But right now I am barefoot. It is a sunny 70 degrees in Los Angeles. Love it. Well, for me, I am black, which means I have a large assortment of house shoes, uh, most of which are (laughs) slides. Uh, In this particular case, I am wearing my Adidas slides that I've still managed to keep from college. So the ones where the stripes are really ripped up, you know what I'm saying? Everybody knows what this look looks like. So I've still got those on because my dress slides are actually in the front (laughs) room. My dress slides. (laughs) I love it. I bring this up because uh, Kanye West just released what may be the perfect coronavirus footwear. He's out with new slides, new sandals. Uh, They're called the Yeezy sandals. Have y'all seen these yet? Uh, I have not. Hold on. I'm scared. Googling as Google. I want y'all to yes. I want y'all to see them right now. What's the price point? (laughs) Uh, Thirty-five dollars for an infant pair and fifty-five for adults. That's not terrible. But have you seen them? It's not terrible unless you've seen the product, which looks somewhere between Crocs and like nurse shoes of some sort. It's like, yeah, they're like uh, Crocs with grips. Yeah. Yeah. If if Crocs went on steroids and also got a haircut and became flip flops, that's the Yeezy sandal. They're so ugly. These would qualify. They're like what a Korean grandma would wear to garden in. Not cute is how I would qualify these for sure. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Not cute. It is really weird, though, to think about how so quickly all of American capitalism has reoriented everything about it to give us stuff for quarantining. I see all these commercials for how to get your food at home, how to exercise at home, clothes to wear as you lounge at home. Like, capitalism has filled this void really quickly. There's so much content and stuff for us to be at home. It's kind of crazy. So... 
I'm gonna I'm gonna comment on this because I need to let the world know as somebody who is a major proponent of what I call the cozy lifestyle. This has fit directly into my wheelhouse in terms of what I'm already normally doing, which is wearing a lot of brightly colored, soft fabrics in my home regularly to engage. So you've in all been activities. training for this moment your whole life. Basically, yes. Thank you very much to everybody in my life who allowed me to wear whatever I wanted whenever it paid I paid off. It paid off. I love it. All right. Well, as I said earlier, we have two sports journalists here this week on the show, and I want to use this part of the show to talk about how how much coronavirus is totally reshaping the world of sports. And to tell that story, we're going to look at how three major sports leagues have reacted to COVID-19. The NBA, the NFL, and Major League Baseball. Each has handled things a bit differently, and each offers a kind of different path forward for sports as a whole. Uh, with that, I'm going to really just give it over to my panelists because my sports knowledge basically ends there. Uh, Mina, we're going to have you go first. Kick it off talking about the NBA. We can all recall how dramatically that league season came to a close with Rudy Gobert being the first NBA player to test positive for coronavirus and then having kind of a lackadaisical attitude about the whole thing, literally touching all the mics and recorders at a press conference as a joke. What has happened with the NBA since then? Yeah, so Rudy Gobert did that kind of win you know, there was concerns mounting, but a lot of people were still skeptical about the coronavirus. And, um, you know, it was kind of like a defiant gesture. Unfortunately for him, it was also an extraordinarily memeable gesture, <laughs> a visual one that then went on to make him the face of the Rona in sports. Uh, and, and which is interesting now, I think, looking back, because while he was sort of the I don't want to say villain at the jump, but he was vilified for sure on the Internet. He also probably saved lives and really brought the virus to a lot of people's doorsteps. I mean, not literally, although who knows how many doors he's been to or he went to. (laughs) But, you know, it was that moment, Sam, like when I remember I was flying back from New York when that happened, when it news came out that he tested positive, the game started stopping. That was when it felt like a large swath of the country started taking this seriously. Yeah. And, and that's really, I think, and Clinton can speak to this too, that's the power of sports generally is because um, they have this urgency and mainstream appeal that I don't think is really matched by anything else in modern American entertainment. Sports has a unique ability to take any issue, a political issue, a social one, in this case, a health one, and bring it to the public consciousness. And that's what Rudy Gobert did. Yeah, And part yeah. of the reason why that was so poignant is because Not just was it Rudy Gobert, but it happened in the NBA in a way that forced them to do things in real time. And we'll get into the baseball part of this later. But in the NBA, they almost started a game and then they didn't. People were in the crowd. They showed up for a game. They delayed the start to make a decision behind the scenes. And then they sent everyone home. And that was because of the Rudy Gobert situation. So the NBA had a very specific approach just in terms of how they were forced to deal with this because it happened in real time in a way that it didn't happen in any other leagues. It was yeah. it was really wild. Yeah. So since then, what has the NBA done? Did they just shut everything down? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, they put everything in pause and they you know went to shutting everything down. And then since then, it's been a holding pattern. It's been ideas leaking about what will it look like? What will it take for basketball to come back? Oh, basketball is on the precipice of coming back in Asia and China. I think Taiwanese hoops are already happening. What does that look like? Can we pull that off here? Can we test? Can we at the latest, I think was like a 25 day 
testing quarantine period for players. Um, the NBA is unique from the other leagues. And we'll talk about that in that they are very good at messaging, I think, <laughs> better, I would say, than other American sports leagues. And so they've been very deliberate and calculated about how these ideas are getting rolled out. Um, because so far, there hasn't been any backlash or tremendous backlash, I think, to any of their decisions. There's just been uncertainty. It feels as if they're all in pretty much lockstep. Like the leader of the NBA comes out and speaks and everyone's kind of like, okay. Um, I'm supposing it's not as organized for some other leagues, right? That is correct. And the reason why is because the NBA's player pool is smaller than every other league. Think about the number of people on an NBA team. The average value of a player in the NBA is higher than every other league because there are less players. It's a different mindset in football. Next man up, cut a guy, whatever. And that's not even related to disease. That's related to the sport itself. In baseball, you've got 25-man rosters and minor leaguers all the way on down the scale. So basketball, particularly the NBA, has a much more valuable product in their players for themselves than I think any of the other leagues, which is why they're doing so much to be so in step because they can't afford not to. Yeah. And so, like, let's just compare uh, the NBA's response to coronavirus to the NFL's. Um, The NFL is still having a draft next week. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay. How? Why? What? Um, Clinton smiling because so NFL is my main beat, Sam. And on our old radio show, we would have a joke called Quab Box whenever I just go into deep NFL geekery. I love the draft. And I think I need to uh, set that table and uh, give that caveat. So I am extraordinarily pumped that it's still happening. I'm also not worried. It's a draft. I think it's one of the few events in sports we can have right now. But how do they do it? The WNBA draft is having as well. Virtually. Okay. The problem is what happens next. When the players actually have to start reporting in the summer, you get OTAs, training camp, that sort of thing. The NFL has not crossed that bridge yet. So we don't know how they're going to respond. But the draft, still happening. So, Clinton, how do you feel about a draft happening digitally? (laughs) Are you going to enjoy that as much? Full disclosure, the draft is one of those things that's kind of a breaking point for football fans. Either, like, you like Sundays... You enjoy week to week, but the draft is like, okay, you know, and a large part of the draw of the draft is seeing what happens. Everybody knows I'm a big fashion guy. Half the reason I'm watching the draft is to see what dudes are wearing on the stage. But that's not fashionable. That's not awful. Well, okay, but that's a different discussion, but that's half the reason why I'm tuning in is to make fun of what they got going on. And it was supposed to be in Vegas this year. It was a whole big thing. Guys were going to allegedly come in on boats. It was a whole situation. But now it's going to look like how it looks when we're doing this interview, a bunch of windows open on a screen, which is fine. Yeah. So we have the NBA shutting everything down, the NFL trying to move forward and pretend that things will be normal when the season starts, and then we have Major League Baseball, which is doing I don't know what right now, Clinton. There's talk of biodomes and biospheres. What is happening with baseball? We got lots of stuff to eat. Biodome is a great movie. Shouts to Pauly Shore. Um, Okay, so here's the deal with Major League Baseball. (laughs) And I have to caveat this with one particular story, which is this. The day that every game got canceled, I was in a Major League ballpark at the Grapefruit League in Florida whilst the game got canceled in the second inning And they played all nine innings. Now, I'm not really really sure what the messaging is there, but all I know is that everybody was sitting around that press box in that stadium thinking, huh, 
My phone says the season's canceled, but I'm looking at a bunch of baseball players on a field. What's happening here? And I think that what MLB, because of the way that MLB is made up, it's a far different sort of constituency map than a lot of other places. Basically, as some might say, the president leaving things to the states is kind of how MLB is taking this into account in terms of what they're allowing teams to do in terms of training. Well, yeah, because they're asking the players in baseball to go to one location and stay there for the whole season. To be clear, this is still in preliminary mode, but that's the idea. Why do I keep seeing the word biosphere with Major League <laughs> Baseball right now as an idea? So, what exactly would that be? It's not be? really a biosphere. I think on one of our shows I said it's more like a college campus where no one has a car. Like The idea was like, let's just put everyone in Phoenix, put them in hotels, have strict testing regimens, make sure they're not, you know, they're distanced from everyone else. Even as the rest of the country comes back online, let's try to isolate them and play the game. Um, the problem is, we talked about how Clinton mentioned, he made a good point about basketball earlier. Baseball is huge. Baseball is all over the place. Baseball also has many, many different players making many, many different amounts of money, some of whom can afford to uh, not play for a season and some of whom I think would probably like for a season to happen because that's the whole other element to all of this, Sam. A lot of these athletes will not get paid uh. if these seasons don't happen or they'll get paid less They'll have their uh, caps go down next year. And that's something weighing on a lot of them as well as they look at these potentially risky decisions. Yeah, yeah. I do find it so interesting to see how the way in which pro sports is responding to this really kind of mirrors the way the entire country is. Different parts are doing different things. You know, the NFL's not doing what the NBA is doing, not doing what MLB is doing, and California's not doing what New York is doing, not doing what Texas is doing. Uh, and it all just seems very uniquely American. All right, on that note, it is uh, time to take a break. Coming up, listeners, we are going to talk about how people are using this period of social distancing for self-improvement. You've seen it. Those folks who are cooking more, exercising more, learning new skills, becoming more optimal human beings. We talk with a writer who says, maybe you don't need to do all that. She tells us why after the break. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back. This message comes from NPR sponsor StoryPoint Wines, maker of StoryPoint, a bold new wine brand with a rich, layered taste profile. Enjoy StoryPoint wine while you connect with those you love, either at home or at a virtual happy hour. Raise a glass and share a story. StoryPoint believes that the stories we share can bring joy even in trying times. Visit storypointvineyards.com slash minute to purchase. Shipping is included in your online order, so consider shipping a bottle to a friend, too. This message comes from NPR sponsor BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who specialize in issues such as isolation, depression, stress, anxiety, and more. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment when you need professional help. Get help at your own time and your own pace. Schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. Visit BetterHelp.com minute to learn more and get 10% off your first month. In the United States, black people as a whole have less access to good health care, to education, and job opportunities than other groups. But who do we even mean when we say black people? Who counts as black? It's a question this country has been trying to answer from the very beginning. 
Listen on NPR's Code Switch podcast. We're back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders, joined this weekend by two guests, Mina Kimes, senior writer at ESPN and host of ESPN's daily news podcast, ESPN Daily, and Clinton Yates, columnist at The Undefeated, panelist on Around the Horn, and new host of Baseball Tonight Live. Uh, before we get to our next segment, Mina, Clinton, I want to ask, have y'all uh, checked out Quibi yet? I've checked it out a little bit. I was not ready for like, oh, it's short form. Oh, it's full-blown directorial you know, content. I was like, this is a movie. I will say um, the whole thing is just weird to me. Uh, so, you know, Quibi is this new mobile streaming service where all the video content is like less than 10 minutes. Basically YouTube, but you pay for it. But they've got a lot of high-profile people doing a lot of different shows on this platform. Um, and I keep seeing headlines about these new shows, and some of them just seem bananas. Like, there's this one show on Quibi. It's a horror anthology series called 50 Stages of Fright. It features the Emmy-winning actress, <laughs> Rachel Brosnahan, of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel fame. But in this role, Rachel Brosnahan oh, yeah. <laughs> plays someone who has a golden arm that she doesn't want to cut off. The episodes aren't out yet, but this writer, Zach Raffio, got access to a clip from the show. You have to hear it. It's Rachel Brosnahan arguing to keep her golden arm. When I die, (laughs) bury me with my golden arm. (laughs) Promise. (laughs) Yes. See it. I will bury you with your golden arm. I will bury you with your golden arm. Is it real? Is it fake? Are they trying to prank us? What? Some of these Quibi shows make no sense. I'm sorry. To that exact point, I'm going to read you something that is from the human who is doing a Quibi show in our group chat. And he wrote plainly, every Quibi show is a 30 Rock joke come to life, (laughs) which I believe is kind of true at this stage. And I'm not actually that mad at as far as a content creation method at this point. Yes, yes. So the folks over at Thrillist.com made a list of, like, the new Quibi titles you have to check out. I'm going to read a few. Y'all tell me which one is fake. Dishmantled, a show in which chefs must recreate a meal using only what they can taste of the food literally being shot into their faces. (laughs) Fierce Queens. A nature docuseries hosted by Reese Witherspoon with monologues that try to parallel the animals' experiences to those of actual human women. And Murder House Flip, an HGTV style in which people rehab houses in which murders have previously taken place. Which of those is fake? I'm going first. I'm saying only the one with Reese Witherspoon is fake, only because they can't afford her. Not because any of those ideas are bad, but she's too rich, and that budget is major to get her on board. Mina? I don't know, man. They are, they're rolling out some pretty big stars. Um, so I know Dishmantle is real. So uh, here's a big reveal. All of those shows are real Quibi shows. All of those shows are happening. <laughs> I knew the first one was real. I, I didn't know understand. that was real. I had, I had inside information on that. But the last <laughs> show, I'm not going to lie, I would watch that. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. I would That's, watch I mean, you know, out. honestly, I'm probably going to spend a lot of time this weekend watching these shows. I mean, Tiger King, Tiger King has come and gone. So, you know, we have to do something. Yeah, we need something new. 
All right. Speaking of what to do with all of this social distancing time on our hands, I want to talk about this new annoying phenomenon. A lot of people using this time of social distancing for self-improvement. Everyone's baking sourdough bread and cooking and exercising and organizing their bookshelves by color while also teaching their child French and sewing their own clothes, pledging to make themselves optimized, more productive people during a pandemic. Um, I have been wondering a lot recently about why some people's first instinct in the midst of a global crisis is to use it for personal optimization. And I asked this question knowing that I was kind of in the same boat the first two weeks of this as well. So I called up someone who thinks and writes about this idea a lot. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm doing okay. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. You know, it is... That's Anne Helen Peterson. She's covered a bunch of topics for BuzzFeed, like pop culture and a millennial life. But this topic, this need to be as productive as possible, she's been looking into it a lot, and she says it's everywhere. You think, okay, so I have like a full weekend that goes on forever of just being home and not having obligations. Obviously, I need to (laughs) write a play or do all of these things that I have been thinking that I should be doing for so long. But that need to optimize ourselves, it's kind of breaking down right now. And Aunt Helen says there's almost been a backlash to this. Right after that first wave of like, here's all the things that I could be doing, I think that you had a huge wave of disappointment and like just disillusionment generally. Like, of course I'm not going to get anything done. I feel like crap all the time because society feels like crap right now. Yeah. Well, and like I tried to cook. (laughs) I can be an okay cook when I want to, but I did it for a week, and then I was just tired. (laughs) And yesterday, I had potato chips and prosciutto for breakfast, and I had cereal for dinner, and it was fine. (laughs) It was just fine. You know, I I had SpaghettiOs. Nice. (laughs) Which is something that I love so much. You know, I wasn't allowed to have it when I was a kid. And I think that, like, I kind of panic bought that in the grocery store before everyone went into quarantine. And then when I looked in my pantry, I was like, this is the best thing in the world. Of course I want to eat SpaghettiOs right now. I've been eating so much candy. But the fine line, right, is like, how do you still make yourself feel okay, right? Like, I don't want to eat so much candy that I feel like crap. You know, and I, it's not because you shouldn't be, right? Like that, that whole like shouldn't thing is the way that we police ourselves and our behaviors. It's more like, how do I take care of myself? How do I try and, and figure out a way to feel okay? Yeah. And so I think there's a lot of judging of other people's ways of staying okay. <laughs> so like, I'm just trying to think about like, how can we just accept that everyone is trying to get through this in their own way. And as long as it's not hurting or endangering other people, like, let people live. Let people live. Well, and there's also this weird phenomenon. Like, we are grieving right now in this way that feels new. We're still alive, but we're grieving the previous lives that we lost, the lives that we really can't live right now, and at least for a while. And I think for a lot of people, when you deal with grief, productivity helps us feel good. It helps us feel normal. It can help us cope. Like, I don't think about how the world is a disaster movie when I'm deep cleaning my kitchen, right? And so, like, how do you allow that and think about that as being helpful and coping without letting it be compulsive and without letting those notions 
overtake us, I guess. Like, that's the hard part. Yeah, I've thought about this so much with my cleaning. So I have two dogs, you know, it's spring, they're shedding, really? <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're shedding their, their winter coats. And I have just been vacuuming so compulsively. <laughs> and so what I try to do is just like take a step back and be like, am I vacuuming because I feel like I should? Or does it like it actually give me a moment of release? And the answer is like, it's actual release. It's like, I feel good while I'm vacuuming. And it's not like, no one's going to see how much dog hair there is either on my person or on the ground. Like there's no one in my house except for my partner and my dogs. So really it is uniquely for myself that I'm doing this. And that feels good to me. Yeah. And that's allowed. And that is fine. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I also think it's like a moment for us to reconsider what the real goals are are right you know we want to be productive we're hardwired to do it but what if our notions of productivity should change i have been hearing a lot of parents say after the first few weeks of trying to like work from home and homeschool their kids they said enough with the zoom teaching and the online lesson plans what if the lesson for my child for the rest of this school year is patience and perseverance what if that's the lesson You know, and like for me, even with work, I'm trying to figure out what if the best thing that I can do and and grow in as an employee right now is patience and better communication with the folks that I work with? Like, what if that is the better career goal right now and not, you know, batting a thousand every day? Yeah. You know, I think the end goal of so much of our productivity obsession is ostensibly to be better people right? Mm, yeah. But so many of the things that we devote ourselves to in service of that goal don't actually make us better people. They don't make us more patient or more empathetic. They just make us more polished, more ostensibly accomplished. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, looking at the example of, of a kid who's learning perseverance and patience and how to relate to their, their siblings in a different way, you know, those are all actual skills. And so right now I'm trying to focus on how do I be a better friend? How do I be a better daughter? How do I support people in my community? Not what does my hair look like? Or, (laughs) you know, am I using the right skin routine? I'm not reading books right now. Like I I was really hard on myself about that for the first couple of weeks because I usually, I really like to escape to fiction and I'm like, what's wrong with me? Nothing's wrong with me. Something's wrong with society right now. And that's okay. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) So whatever thing seems different or less productive from the rest of your life, like there's a reason for that. And just how can we have grace with ourselves Mm -hmm. and with others in the face of that? I would agree. And Helen Peterson, it is always a joy to talk with you. Um, Let's find a reason to talk again soon. Yeah. Stay, Stay well, Sam. I'm thinking of you. Thanks again to BuzzFeed senior culture writer Anne Helen Peterson. She'll be out with a new book about millennial burnout later this year. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. It's time for a break now. When we come back, my favorite game, Who Said That? BRB. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Here's a familiar situation. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone. If only you had a Discover card. 
With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right, a real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. From your car radio to your smart speaker, NPR meets you where you are in a lot of different ways. Now we're in your pocket. Download the NPR app today. The world of podcasts can feel overwhelming. We'll let you in on the easiest way to find your next favorite show. Head to npr.org slash podcast. From politics to pop culture to music and everything in between, you'll find a selection of shows that'll make you a super fan in no time. How do we reinvent ourselves? And what's the secret to living longer? I'm Anoush Zamarodi. Each week on NPR's TED Radio Hour, we go on a journey with TED speakers to seek a deeper understanding of the world and to figure out new ways to think and create. Listen now. We are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders, joined this weekend by two guests, Clinton Yates, columnist at The Undefeated, panelist on Around the Horn, and new host of Baseball Tonight Live, and Mina Kimes, senior writer at ESPN and host of ESPN's daily news podcast, ESPN Daily. All right, y'all, it is time for my favorite game. Who said that? I don't think either of you have played this game before. One of the times I was on this program, when we were in studio, back when that's a thing that people did, we played this game. Okay. So, Clinton, you know this already. Mina, it's a really simple game. I share three quotes from the week. You have to guess who said that or guess what I'm talking about. Uh, The winner gets nothing but bragging rights, and uh, the loser also could brag, too. I don't mind. Everyone wins here. We all get trophies. Classic. All right. Shall we? I'm ready. All right. First quote. When people see this footage, I'm not sure they're going to be able to understand why I was so intense, why I did the things I did, why I acted the way I acted, and why I said the things I said. Who said that? Michael Jeffrey Jordan said that, referring to his last season with the Chicago Bulls. What is it? What's the name of the show, Mina? I forgot the name last of the show. Last Dance. <laughs> last Dance. How is it possible that you've forgotten the name? The Last Dance. <laughs> You want to know why it's possible? Because my feelings about Mikey Jeffel Jordan very personally, because of him ruining the Washington Wizards, are not exactly all positive. So we can get to that later. All right. I'm watching this series for work because I enjoy the Chicago Bulls. With Michael Jordan, I specifically remember that quote because he basically said, people aren't going to like me after they watch this, which is why he was so controlling about whether or not the footage was going to come out. Yeah. So there is a new Michael Jordan documentary being released on ESPN this weekend. And in an interview uh, this week, the director of the film, he said that Michael Jordan is worried about some parts of the documentary and how they might make him seem like not a nice guy. But I thought we all knew that he's not a nice guy, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm hoping that this makes me like him better. Michael Jordan, the star, was one thing. Michael Jordan, the owner, is another. Michael Jordan, the sort of media guy after retirement hasn't really been much. But Michael Jordan, the player on the Bulls, is the Michael Jordan that people love and that I think I would most closely relate to at this point in terms of from a fan standpoint to anything else he's done. I'm really looking forward to this series. If I had his money, I wouldn't care what y'all thought about me. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Next quote. The cost was upwards of $450 to $600 in the Seattle area for a used blank. Some with and without all the accessories. Fill in the blank. 
What's currently running for between $450 and $600 and is in high demand all across the country as we socially distance and stay at home more? I'm getting... Something people use for fun at home. Xbox? Oh, keep going. Close to Xbox. Uh, Keep going. What is the hot video game right now? Animal Crossing is the hot video game. Y'all. Video game or console? Where do you play Animal Crossing? I don't play Animal Crossing. I watch it on (laughs) Twitch. That's all I do. This quote is about the very hard to get Nintendo Switch. Oh, right. Okay. So, sorry. So, that quote comes from an imager user named Sarbaz37. And he was talking about how the demand for Nintendo Switches has gotten so high and they've been so sold out across the country. He began to build cheaper Nintendo Switches from spare parts. And now he's been hired to do (laughs) just that. So this Nintendo Switch gaming system, it is a big hit. They've sold 52 million of them. I tried to get a Switch a few weeks ago, couldn't get one. Y'all haven't done so yet? I have one and I don't play Animal Crossing because I'm not cool. Wait, you have one? It was a present. You live in LA, right? Leave it outside your door and I'll come pick it up. It was my husband gave it to me for Valentine's Day last year, which is kind of like you know that episode of The Simpsons where Homer gives Marge a bowling ball that's fitted to his own fingers. That's what it was kind of like. <laughs> oh my god, that is hilarious! I love it. All right, last quote: We encourage you to connect in any way you're comfortable, so long as you're keeping physical distance. This is a company talking to its users this week. Hmm. Guessing this is one of the swipe apps. Keep going. I'm, Hinge, is that one of them? I'm just making up names. Keep going. Bumble? Yes, Bumble. Bumble, I know that because they're on an NBA jersey. They are a sponsor. Uh-huh. That's how I know Clip. Oh, is that okay. one of them? So that was the dating app Bumble in a press release this week. Uh, like many dating services, they are retooling to adjust to social distancing. And Bumble, like a bunch of other platforms, is now allowing users to scroll potential dates from all over the country. Uh, And they're making it easier for folks to know that you're down to video chat or send audio notes to a potential love interest. I just like, who is trying to find love on a dating app right now? Is this a thing that people are still doing right now? I think that half of what this is about is simply people's need for attention. That's really all that it is. Like, (laughs) finding love, absolutely not. But, like, the number of people I see out here that are just doing anything for anybody to pay attention because they're normal walks of life that they get whatever feedback they get from people that they need to add up to their own sense of worth. You're sitting in the crib by yourself watching Judge Judy and Hot Bench. You know what I'm saying? You're not getting back what you normally get throughout the day. You need the attention. I hear that. But maybe we end this chapter of distancing with, like, a bunch of new romances and new loves and new marriages. Would be nice. I would enjoy seeing that happen. That's a whole other show, bro. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm happy to announce that y'all tied. I think you both got a yes. point each. So congrats. You'll share okay. that win. It's very unsportsy of us. Oh, yeah. So do oh, we yeah. win the Nintendo right. Switch? What happens here? I win Mina's Nintendo Switch. Leave it on your front lawn, and I'm going to come pick it up. All right, we'll talk about that later. Just for a few <laughs> days. <laughs> All right, that concludes Who Said That. All right, now it's time to end the show as we always do. Every week we ask our listeners to share with us the best things that have happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag. They do. Janae, hit the tape. Hi, Sam. This is Abby from Salisbury, Maryland. And the best part of my week was getting to see my four-year-old niece, Lily, open her Easter basket. 
which contained a replacement Peppa Pig cereal bowl. And this little girl's sheer excitement over a bowl, it brightened my day and it brightened my entire week. Hey Sam, this is Jacqueline in Boston. The best thing about my week is that my baby has started walking. Hey Sam, this is Michelle from Wisconsin. Best part of my week is feeding the dairy calves every day. They do not care about news or COVID and I'm trying to get one of them to say hi to you. Cavi, can you say hi? Cavi. Hey Sam, it's Rogelio calling from San Antonio, your hometown. The best part of my week was when my mom drove up to my apartment patio door and called to surprise me with some homemade empanadas. The best part of my week was running the virtual Milwaukee Half Marathon. Even though it wasn't a traditional event this year, finishing the race was an emotional journey for me because it was the longest I've run since breaking my leg exactly one year ago. I'm taking it as a sign to not lose hope in this crazy time that we're living in. Hey Sam, this is Kate calling from Louisville, Kentucky. The best thing that happened to me this week was that I hosted a game meeting with my class. Um, I invited them to show up for a video meet at 1.30 in the afternoon. Two of them even said they'd been sleeping until 4 in the afternoon, but they woke up early to join our meeting. I guess I'll take that as a compliment. We got to laugh, and it just felt really great to connect with those kids. I miss them a lot. Anyway, I love listening to your show. Have a great day. Thanks. Thank you for all you do, and have a great week. Thanks for what you do, Sam. Thanks again for the show. That was our first cow on the show. Wow. I liked that. Do we know the cow's name? Did we? Did I miss that? <laughs> the whole thing? We're going to follow up. I kind of want to send that cow some NPR swag. <laughs> Thanks to all the folks you heard there. Kate, John, Rogelio, Michelle, Jacqueline, and Abby. Please keep sending those. We listen to everything you submit, and we love to hear it. Just record yourself on your phone and email that file to me at samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. You can even send video if you want of dogs and cats and babies, whatever. Also, uh, because this time is really strange, we're also asking our listeners to send us more than just that. Send us voice memos of the sound of your life in quarantine. Uh, Tell us what you're missing, what you're doing, how you're feeling, how you're passing the time. You could even send us the sound of quiet. Send all of that stuff to samsanders at npr.org. Clinton Yates columnist at The Undefeated and panelist on Around the Horn and new host of Baseball Tonight Live and Mina Kimes, senior writer at ESPN and host of ESPN's daily news podcast, ESPN Daily. I'm glad that we had the sports takeover and that y'all didn't make me look uh, too stupid because I'm not uh, the biggest expert in sports, but y'all were so kind and generous. So thank you both for being here. Thanks for having us. Anytime, Sam. Of course. All right, going to close the show by thanking the folks that are always some of the best parts of my week, the team that makes It's Been a Minute. This week, the show was produced by Janae West, Anjali Sastry, Andrea Gutierrez, and Hafsa Fatima. Our fearless editor is Jordana Hochman. Our director of programming is Steve Nelson. Our big boss is NPR's senior VP of programming, Anya Grundman. All right, listeners, till next time, thanks for listening. A special thanks to Jen and Ruben for listening because their son, my nephew, Alex, just turned one this week, and we had the happiest little Facebook party. Love you, Alex. All right, listeners, stay safe, stay home. I'm Sam Sanders. We'll talk soon.
This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Tired of not getting a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Get the service you deserve. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Instead of scrolling mindlessly, engage mindfully with the NPR app. With a mix of on-demand news, stories from this station, and your favorite podcast, you can relax without shutting off your brain. Download the NPR app today.